Your Steve Jones Show podcast will start shortly. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Brewers Outlet, your beverage supermarket on Reagan Street in Sunbury. That's okay. All right. Adam, how are you today? It's great to have you with us. Yeah, I'm good. Steve, just listening to your commentary, uh, just, just like a listener today. So good to be with yeah. you. Yeah, it's great to, great to be with you. What did you think when, what did you, think when you heard that uh, Bill got the uh, Ohio State job, and what do you think that means on Ryan Day's mindset? Well, I think I talked to Ryan last week at the uh, coaches convention in Nashville, and he, he realizes that uh, it's time to back away from the play calling and the offensive operation and be more of a, a CEO as he enters what we all agree is a pivotal season. So you know, he wanted to find somebody who certainly he'd be comfortable with, but also he did mention NFL to me as where he, he may look for a, uh, a coordinator. So it makes sense. You know, Bill O'Brien, who spent most of his career in the NFL, but obviously um, had some time, had uh, obviously time at Penn State, but also other college stops early on, um, kind of fits the mold of what Ryan Day wanted. Uh, I think what's going to be very interesting is just how they work together and where Bill O'Brien can take the offense that maybe you know they weren't getting there with, with Ryan Day and, and, and Brian Hartline and, and some of the personnel. I mean, this is a very, very talented offense that's returning, but one that has some question marks. You know, most notably, you know, is Will Howard the answer at quarterback? Right. Uh, they have a running back tandem that I think is going to be the best in college football going into the season with Travion Henderson and then Quinshawn Judkins coming in from Ole Miss. You know, Mecca Buka is back at receiver. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's a group that ultimately, you know, couldn't score enough uh, in the most important game of the season and, uh, and was really decimated in their bowl game. So definitely some growth uh, needed for, for, the, for the Buckeye offensive line. You talked about the coaches' convention. Adam, what were your takeaways from the coaches' convention that you feel after listening to certain people can move the game forward? Well, yeah, that's the thing, though. Are they going to be listened to? I mean, the, the right. coaches have their opinions oftentimes – they come off as complaining, but one thing that was consistent to me in talking to them last week is that they believe they forecasted a lot of the challenges in college football. I don't say problems because that's their word, and I'm not saying that they're all problems, but I think the coaches believe they saw a lot of what's happening now coming, and by not being listened to, and, and maybe uh, their ideas didn't go far enough, um, th- there have been some real challenges around the sport, especially regarding the portal and uh, and nil so um you know one one they all have ideas as far as the calendar and how it needs to change i think one thing that uh they came out with is that they want the uh signing date the early signing date to be before the opening of the transfer portal right now it's not and there's some real consequences to having that sequence the way it is i think they think a 30-day total window for the portal is is better than a 45-day window, but there's all sorts of ideas, Steve. I mean, a prominent Power 5 coach said his plan would be to get rid of the early signing date, but essentially make it that that uh, Wednesday, February, whatever it is, signing date would be open for a calendar year beginning with high school juniors. So those who have completed their junior year could begin signing for a full calendar year until the, 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 the February of their senior year. So that was a different idea I heard. And they're all over the place in terms of ideas, but there's certainly a desire to, um, to you know, make changes to the way it is right now because it has been so hectic. 
hypothetically, uh, if they move the early signing period before the transfer portal open, could that lead to more firings in season? Uh, for sure. Um, and you, although, we, you know, this year we did not see that a whole lot. Last year we saw a lot of early firings. Now I think part of that was circumstantial, and you had a number of coaches who – you know, were entering their seasons with very little chance to keep their job. Um, you know, like, like a Clay Helton, uh, a couple of years ago or last year, you know, you looked at Scott Frost and, you know, Jeff Collins at, at, uh, um, Georgia Tech and Herm Edwards at Arizona State, Brian Harson at Auburn. You know, those were all seen as jobs that were almost for sure going to open. I think we could see that this year. Potentially, you look at Billy Napier at Florida. You know, Dave Aranda at Baylor, um, Sam Pittman at Arkansas. You know, if they don't get off to good starts, I think you could see changes made um, relatively early to try to get ahead of of that next portal cycle. So um, I think part of it's the way it is now because of the calendar, but part of it's also the individual circumstances. Charlie Baker made some interesting proposals before all of this happened, some of it dealing with NIL, others with the portal were any of those ideas discussed at the coaches' convention? And if so, what was the reception to at least the thought process? Yeah, I think they were discussed. Uh, I, I think there's you know, so, still some, some, some frustration with um, the NCAA in terms of uh, you know, speed in, term, in, in acting to, to create change. But I think there's an excitement that at least the head of the NCAA is thinking about this in a realistic way, that not all schools are the same. And that um, you know some type of controls around NIL can can be beneficial. Um, so I, I you know I, I think that there's there's a desire to to, to really um, push some of these things through as quickly as possible. But uh, and, and also just recognizing the realities that you know some programs are just going to be better equipped than others in the NIL environment. To, uh, to but, but I, I, they all want some level of control. I mean, coaches, as you know want control and they don't feel like there's any control right now over um, especially NIL they have been relatively pleased with the transfer windows but like I said they want those to be even tighter than they are right now okay so we are also entering the uh, new era the the 12 team playoff and a new era of 18 teams in the Big Ten uh, don't teach your children through um, college football they're 18 in the Big Ten yeah. Uh, and 16 in the SEC. Uh, how interested are you in how this is going to work out, and is there an excitement level to it or an interest level to it for you? Oh, I think there's excitement. Um, I mean, again, I don't love an 18-team Big Ten right. uh, because I think you lose some of the things that make conferences unique, but we're, we're past that point, right? I mean, you know, conferences are not what they were. When, when we were growing up or when we entered the sport. Um, and, and that just is what it is. You can wring your hands about it. You can, you can uh, pine for the old days, but this is not, not where we are right now. I, I am very excited for the 12-team playoff. Um, and I've, I've advocated for a bigger playoff for a number of years. And I've done so in, in, a, in a sense of it's not to create more possible national champions. It would be great if – a team that squeaks in as the 11th seed or the 10th seed uh, wins four games in a row to win a national championship. The odds of that happening are not great. But the fact that those teams are going to be part of the CFP and you're going to have games on campus and you're going to have more inclusivity and it's going to be a truly national playoff, those are all good things for the sport. That's how it exists in virtually every other sport 
uh, but college football. And so that part of it is going to be um, really exciting. And I think it creates all sorts of interesting conversations like, you know, what if Ryan Day loses to Michigan again but makes the college football playoff and wins a national title? How do you feel about him at that point or reaches a national title game? You know, how, how much more is that a barometer for Penn State that, you know, would have been in the college football playoff if it, if it had been larger over the last uh, 10 years or so but hasn't, hasn't made it yet at four teams? When is that the standard for James Franklin and Penn State in most seasons? I think there's a few programs that really should realistically expect to make the playoff every year, but there's a much larger group of programs that should, should anticipate at least having a chance to make the playoff every once in a while or, you know, two out of every five years or whatever you want to uh, call a metric. So that, that part is really exciting to me. I mean, you can argue that year one when Ohio State is a four beat Alabama as a one is the biggest upset in the four-team playoff era. You can make that argument. One thing about, for example, you know, USC's coming in Andy Enfield, but he coached at Florida Gulf Coast, and they beat Georgetown and San Diego State, got to the Sweet 16. Did they win the national title? No. How how important do you think for the excitement level is that somewhere along the line, uh, Air Force, for example, goes out and they beat a USC in round one for whatever reason? What what would that mean to college football just to even have that? Not Air Force winning at all because they're not going to, but to even do something like that. Yeah, I, I mean, again, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how valuable home field is in that first round. Yeah. or even how valuable not playing in your conference championship game could be in that first round because you'd have extra time to rest and prepare for the game. So of those four first-round games, are those four home wins or are those three home wins? Are we going to see some upsets? I mean, that's, that's certainly exciting. But, I, yeah, I, I think it's very uh, unrealistic to expect anyone who's in that first round to run the table and win a national title. Not saying it can't happen. But it's a very difficult task uh, to win, you know, four postseason games in football in a relatively. I mean, you're talking about a you know a month span. The first round of the playoff, I believe, this next year is December 20th, and then the the national championship game is January 20th. So you're talking about four games in a month span at the very highest level, traveling around the country. That's a, that's that's asking a lot. So I, my my anticipation is that. Most of the national champions, and that's again what makes it exciting and why you want to be a top four seed, uh, because your chances of winning a national championship go way up. Which brings us to the next part, and that is what happens with Florida State. In these days, to be a writer or to come on shows like these, you have to somehow talk to somebody who has a legal background. So, what is the grasp that you have to this point on Florida State versus the ACC? Right. Well, again, not surprised that Florida State was the first, um, you know, ACC team that challenged the grant of rights openly and has made it very clear that it wants to explore its options outside of the league. I still think most of the legal uh, interpretations are on the ACC side, namely that Florida State agreed to this grant of rights. Its representatives signed it back in 2016, and um, and, and the ACC has that information. So. Uh, it'll be fascinating to see, obviously, where the uh, where the legal cases go, and you know uh, how how different judges interpret you know, some of Florida State's arguments. I just don't think that it's realistic to expect Florida State to be in the ACC 
for 10 more years, or right. I guess we're, we're looking at 12 more. You, you know how these things go. I mean, if you want to get divorced, you're really going to stay in a separation or an unhappy situation for, you know, four, eight, 12 years. I, I just don't think that's going to happen. You saw it even with the uh, Texas and Oklahoma moving out of the Big 12 earlier. I think you can typically get to a point where, again, an expensive point, but a point where the two sides can, can kind of go their separate ways. Right, and exactly. And Florida State not only signed it once, they signed it twice. I mean, that's what's interesting about this because they, they signed that thing two different times along the way. Uh, when you look at the landscape of college football now, for the moment, TV contracts are settled except for the college football playoff contract. Uh, outside of Florida State, is, is, is there the possibility of stabilization for at least a couple of years? Well, I, I think it's possible because the AC, or sorry, the Big Twelve is uh, is now set with with who, who's going to be in that league. There obviously is a possibility that they look to add more from what's left of the Pac-12. That would obviously be Oregon State and Washington State. But I don't think any existing Big Ten or SEC teams are going anywhere. So all eyes again are on the ACC and to see where this thing goes. Because you know you're naive if you don't think Clemson is going to do the same thing as Florida State and maybe uh, North Carolina and Miami and Virginia and some of those other reported teams um, that, that are at least exploring this would, would follow suit. This is a copycat enterprise, a copycat landscape and so that's where the attention is but I, I don't sense that um, there's going to be other uh, movement other than you know if we can get to a point where there's this you know football breakaway in a Super League and you know, these are the teams that are part of that, and it'll be fascinating to see you know where that cutoff is, and if every existing Big Ten and SEC team is you know essentially grandfathered into that league, or if there are cutoffs within those conferences, and if there are um, other teams that are outside of those two leagues that would be part of it. We you know obviously Clemson, Florida State, those types of programs would have to be part of a Super League, but who who else makes it and who doesn't would be uh, would be very interesting. Tim Murphy retired. You did a nice uh, article about him. What does a guy like that mean to the game after 30 years at Harvard? It's kind of amazing. I mean, 30 years at at one program and uh, just reading about how Harvard had had really not had much success for, you know, the previous, you know, 50, 60 years before he arrived and started winning Ivy League titles and 10 Ivy League titles tied for the most in in, in history of of that league and and certainly, you know, the number of eight plus win seasons, the, the record against Yale, you know, certainly, uh, you talk about Nick Saban being the greatest coach in college football history. I think you could look at, uh, Tim Murphy, at least in modern Harvard history, um, you know, given their realities, uh, where they belong in the current, uh, college football landscape is, is sort of being their, their greatest coach. Always a pleasure, Adam. Thanks so much for being with us. Really appreciate it. All right. Great. Thanks for having me. You bet.